Jesus, set our eyes toward you that every eye would see you lifted high this morning. As you take us through these psalms, through this series, help us to see you. And we pray all this in your precious name. Amen. Obey or be destroyed. That's a weird way to say hello, isn't it? And yet somehow, for some reason, that's how the psalmist chose to begin this collection of poems, this collection of songs. Obey or be destroyed. When I was a kid, I had a collection of favorite songs. Uh, Before I was old enough to walk, there was a record player next to my crib. When my little fingers were finally old enough to hit the play button on a cassette recorder, some of you know what cassettes, some of you still remember what cassettes are. Millennials don't. Cassette? No, actually, that's the cool. It's retro now, right? Um, when my fingers were old enough to hit play on a cassette player, I had one of those. When I, when I was old enough to have a Walkman, I had headphones, and in the car, at home, at school, as long as I didn't get in trouble for it, I was listening to music. My dad used to say, he's in his own little world. My collection of of cassettes, grew, expanded, but I always had this this small collection of favorite songs. Most of those songs were on one album, Thriller by Michael Jackson. (laughs) It's true. And you may not know it to look at me now, but I used to be, at least when it came to Michael Jackson songs, quite the dancer. (laughs) I know. I'll just take a minute and imagine it. I'll let you... Settle in that moment for just a minute. Um, In fact, there's one story that my mom still loves to tell about a family reunion. It was a camping trip. We were all there together. And the patriarch of our family at that time was a man named Hubert. But we all called him Papa. Um, We loved Papa. He was a a very sort of blue-collar, very salt-of-the-earth, very down-to-earth kind of of guy. and to, to understand, to appreciate Papa, you have to understand there were a few things that he really loved. Not all of his families, uh, not all of his stories were family friendly. Not all of his jokes were family friendly. But there were a few, like one of his favorites, he would get all the grandkids gathered around and he would say, you ever seen a catfish? And we would say, yes, Papa, we've seen a catfish. And he'd say, well, how'd he hold his pole? <laughs> and he would laugh, and we would sort of go, oh, right, catfish. Uh, Papa loved to tell stories like this. He loved being around the grandkids. But on this particular day, we were walking through the grocery store, navigating the aisles, and the song Beat It came on over the speakers overhead. And for my cousin and Ryan and I, it was like somebody flipped the switch, and it was... It was undeniable, it was irrepressible, it was unstoppable dance in the grocery store. I mean, we could not stop. I'm not going to give you a sample of what it was. No, we won't, no. I won't, I won't. All I can say is it was so wonderful that Papa stood there with his mouth open, watching us boys, and just started to shake his head. Turned around and threw his hands in the air and said, If I hadn't have seen it, I wouldn't have believed it. (laughs) 
I tell you that story because we're starting this series about the Psalms. It's called Songs of Worship, Getting Real with God. And my hope is that as we move through this series, we'll start to see that this collection of songs and poems was written, was intended to be part of the the fabric of people's lives, not cotton, but the Psalms, (laughs) was intended to be part of the way we live on a regular basis. Not just something we think about once in a while and keep on the shelf, but something that was integrated in part of regular life. Our son Anderson uh, turned three a couple weeks ago, and um, it, it's hard for me to believe that he's three already, but, but one of the things that was popular sort of when I was a kid was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Anyone remember? It's hard to believe that this is popular again, and, and, but Anderson loves Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And so um, for his third birthday, he got a, a gift that was some Teenage Mutant, TMNT toys. And we hadn't really thought a whole lot of it, but we wanted to raise him right, so we made sure that he's got some Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. The other day, as he was playing, he was making all the noises that should go along with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. The hi-yahs and the punches and the kicks and the psh, psh, ah, wah, yah. And then it got quiet for a second. And then we heard, we have a visitor here today. Hello, hello. One of the songs that Anderson is used to singing down in the Beginner's Life group somehow manifested itself right before a lethal punch was delivered by a Ninja Turtle. (laughs) These songs have taken root in Anderson's life, and they show up sometimes in unexpected ways. Um, If you read Daily Walk this week, you may remember that I said that uh, I think sometimes we idealize Scripture. And by that, of course, I mean we sort of make it into a, a collection of ideas they sit up on the shelf, and we, we study them sometimes. Like, the primary purpose of Scripture was something for us to know about. Uh, and I want to make a disclaimer that I, I, part of the reason we send out Daily Walk every week is that we believe that Scripture should be studied. We should engage with it on a regular basis. But if we forget that these stories are not just ideas but it's actually a collection of of thoughts, of emotions, of feelings from real people who had real struggles with God, then we sort of miss a a, a good point of, or a good good part of why we even have scripture. Uh, So as we go through this series for the next few weeks, especially as we look at the Psalms, uh, I'd like us to remember that it's a collection of of stories that for, for some kid somewhere, in the time of Jesus, when he heard Psalm 1, the text that Jackie read for us this morning, it would have made him burst out into uncontrollable dance in the marketplace. Uh, So this all brings me to our first recalibrate question for this morning. If you have your worship guide, you can answer this. Uh, And actually, before you answer this question, I want to give you permission to answer this question honestly. 
Sometimes we get to church and there are expectations about the way that we're supposed to answer, especially in the middle of a sermon. We think we're supposed to answer these questions in sort of a, a sanctified or holy way. Uh, a couple of years ago, our family went to San Diego to attend a One Project gathering. And while we were there, <clears throat> Ellie and Anderson, well, Anderson wasn't old enough. He was just barely kicking around. But Ellie was old enough. She kind of was going through a phase in life where we list, there was one song that we listened to Please don't judge me when I tell you the name of it. Um, but Ellie's song at the time was all about that bass. Some of you know the song. Some of you are pretending you don't know the song. Um, and it's a song, if I'm honest, there's some stuff in there that may not be exactly church material. But we, as parents, we rationalized. We thought, well, there's sort of healthy body image issues that are discussed in the song. So probably, probably okay for a three-year-old to listen to it. So it was one of Ellie's favorite songs. So we get to the One Project, church gathering, we're talking about Jesus, it's a beautiful moment. The children's worship leader stands up and says, does anyone have any favorite songs? And Ellie said, can we sing all about that bass? Now there was another kid in the room, and his mom was there with him, and apparently she was a good parent because he said, yeah, let's sing all about that bass. And his mom said, no, 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 we don't. We don't know that song. And the little boy said, sure we do. It's all about that bass. You know, Mom. <laughs> so when I ask the question, what is your favorite song, I want to give you permission to answer that song honestly. If it's all about that bass, then so be it. If it's Come Thou Found of Every Blessing or 10,000 Reasons or one of the other songs we sing here on a regular basis, that's fine. But what is it about that song that makes it connect so deeply with your life. And I wanna do something that um, we don't do very often here, but I wanna give you just a couple seconds because I'd like you to share that with the person or people sitting next to you. So take just a few seconds, let them know, even if it's an embarrassing song, let them know what's your favorite song, what is it that makes that song connect with your life so deeply? So as you finish up, I want to take a minute to share with you some of the lyrics of one of my favorite songs. If you were a pastor at a certain point in time, especially if you were a youth pastor, there's a group that was sort of a cliche. You had to love this group if you were going to be in youth ministry. And before I tell you who it is, I'll, no, it wasn't Plan C. <laughs> uh, but I want to share the lyrics to one of their songs for you because I think, I think this song, I think of it as sort of a modern psalm. I think it sort of illustrates part of what we're going to talk about when we, as, we, as we dig into this series. Some of you will recognize the lyrics right away, and it's not all about that bass, don't worry. <laughs> Here we go. I've climbed highest mountains, I've run through the fields, only to be with you. I've run, I've crawled. I have scaled these city walls only to be with you. But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I have kissed honey lips, felt the feeling in the fingertips. It burned like a fire. 
This burning, this doesn't seem appropriate for church all of a sudden. I have spoke with the tongues of angels and I have held the hand of the devil. It was warm in the night when I was cold like a stone. But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Now I believe in the kingdom come when all the colors will bleed into one. And yes, I'm still running. You broke the bonds, you loosed the chains, carried the cross of all my shame. You know I believe it, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. What emotions do you hear in the songwriter's voice in this song? There's expectation, disappointment, lust, fear, faith, doubt. I think of this song by the group U2 as sort of a modern psalm because the writer knew something that we sort of know but we don't always acknowledge as a reality in our lives. And that is, when he sat down to wrote the, write these, these lyrics, he didn't say to himself, well, I have some questions about the afterlife and so I guess I don't belong in the kingdom of God anymore. He didn't say to himself, there are things, there are appetites, there are real struggles in my life that don't feel very holy, that don't feel very sanctified, so I guess I must not be a Christian anymore. Instead, he's very real about the fact that this is still a struggle. But there are some things we never give ourselves permission to talk about in church. We do this maybe for a few reasons. Sometimes we use the excuse that there are young ears listening or that we're in mixed company and so it wouldn't really be appropriate so we have men's retreats. <laughs> but sometimes we use those same reasons, those same excuses, as a reason not to talk about those things with Jesus, not to talk about those things with God. We sort of get in the practice of not talking about these less holy or less sanctified things, and so because we don't talk about them together because we don't talk about them in church, we never bother to acknowledge with God that these are part of our life. Some things maybe seem too ordinary to bring to God. How you feel about your work, it's just work. How you feel about your boss, your coworkers. Maybe other things just seem too uncomfortable. I don't wanna bring my appetites or my addictions the shows I like to watch to God, could it be that maybe we don't talk about those things with God because we're afraid we would feel compelled to do something different? For some of us, there are questions that I believe we never bring to God because we feel like they might shake our faith too much. If we follow this path too far, if we go too far in that direction, Maybe we'll end up not believing the way we once did. Or maybe it'll change our relationship with God altogether. So I want to encourage you this morning, and I think the psalmist would affirm this. As we'll discover through the series, there's no question, there's no concern, no issue that's unsafe to bring to God. We take this for granted sometimes, I think, because the society that we live in is very binary. It's very polarized. It's either one way or it's another way. You can either be a Democrat or you can be a Republican. You can either choose Apple or you can choose Android. You can be a Broncos fan 
or you can be a praying Christian. You can believe in science, or you can believe in the Bible. You can support equal rights for the LGBTQ community, or you can be faithful to Scripture. You can support the ordination of women in your church, or you can support the institution. We live in a world that's very binary. Even in a story written down in the gospel, Jesus apparently tells his disciples, the way is broad, uh, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it, either or. In the psalm Jackie read for us this morning, there is a stark contrast between the faithful, between those who follow the law of God, and the faithless, who will be destroyed. We live in this very binary, very polarized world, even within the church. And so it makes sense sometimes that we think, if I ask the wrong question, then it puts me outside the community of faith. I, don't want, to, I want to be sure I fit in with my friends at church, so I won't even ask this of God. In what feels sort of like a former life sometimes, I used to be a barista. In fact, I was more than a barista. I was a certified coffee master. I had a black apron. Everyone else had a green apron. I had a black apron. And it felt good to put on my black apron. I mean, it meant that on a good day, I could smell a bag of coffee and I could tell you if it was a floral roast, if it was earthy, if it was herbal, if it was fruity, if it was Spaghetti, what did, you know, I could smell, and I could tell you the difference between a semi-processed, semi-washed process or a dry process. I was on a good day. But on a Monday morning at 5 a.m., when there was a line of cars wrapped around the building, it meant that I could do one thing. I could push a button that made coffee come out, and then I could hand it to you. So I worked, I loved, at least I really liked working at Starbucks. Um, I came into contact with people all across the, uh, the, the continuum of, of faith backgrounds and different beliefs, and because I worked with a, such a diverse group of people, we had so many different customers come in, it was really rare that I offered my opinion, uh, at least unsolicited. But one day, every once in a while, we would talk about something more important than football, which is hard, hard to imagine if you know that we were in Texas, but it was <laughs> every once in a while we'd get to talk about some big things. And one day, my shift supervisor came out of the back room looking at her phone, and she said, with all of the, let's say she used the word stuff, with all the stuff that happens in the world, with all the evil that's out there, with all the bad that happens in the world, I can't believe in a good God. With all the evil, with everything that is, is going wrong with this world, I don't understand how people can say that they believe there's a God. And that is why I don't go to church. Which brings us to our second recalibrate question this morning. Is there one thing, what is it that you've always wanted to ask Jesus but been afraid to talk with him about? I won't ask you to share this one with your neighbor.
What is one thing you've always wanted to ask Jesus but have been afraid to ask him about? With all my heart, I wish on that day that I could have come up with words to respond to that question. With all the bad in the world, how could there possibly be a good God? How could there be room for me in church when I don't fit in with the people that believe in, in that? I wish I'd had the right text, the right words, the right phrase in my back pocket to just pull out and read. I wish that I had even had the words to say, there's room for you at my church. But because of where I was in life at the time, maybe it was because I still sort of believed that you couldn't ask the really difficult questions and still walk with Jesus. So instead, I stood there dumbfounded, not knowing how to respond. I'd like to say that I've since learned, and now I know, but the truth is I'm still learning that when our world seems very either or, that Jesus still offers us another option, another way of seeing the world. Like he says to us still, you have heard this, but I tell you this. See, people in Jesus' time had a particular view of what the kingdom of God looked like. There were certain people that belonged and certain people that didn't. And Jesus was constantly reminding people there is more to the kingdom than their narrow definition could afford. Sometimes I think we need the same kind of reminding today. So a week ago, Friday, I attended the Orange Tour in Denver with a group of our leaders here from the Boulder Church. And one of the speakers who happens to be one of my personal heroes, his name is Reggie Joyner, and I get teased to no end because for some reason when I tell stories about what Reggie Joyner has had to say, his insights on scripture, I've just started referring to him as just Reggie, or Reg, RJ. We don't really know each other, we've met once. He put his hand on my shoulder while he walked by. But Reggie, RJ, the register, reminded us that one of the pictures used to describe the kingdom of God in the Gospels is a party. Jesus over and over talks about how the kingdom of God is like a party. Why a party, Jesus? I mean, we're good at describing the kingdom of God. We like to say that it's something that no one really wants to be a part of. <laughs> but maybe Jesus used that imagery of a party so often. Maybe he performed the first miracle that we have recorded, at least in the Gospels, at a party because Jesus cares about the people at parties. Too often we describe the kingdom of God as something much more serious, much more lifeless, something that if we're honest, not very many of us would want to be a part of, let alone inviting someone else to be a part of it. But Jesus said, I came that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Not more religiously, not more obediently, not a dairy-free, gluten-free, sugar-free, fun-free life of thick wool socks, creeping only a little into the water on Sabbath, not celebrating too much for fear that we might splash water on our neighbor above their knees. No, Jesus said, I came so you could have life that is full, immersed, overflowing, 
So I chose Psalm 1 to introduce this series. And then I read Psalm 1, and I had to swallow hard because this does not sound like an abundant life kind of text. Obey or be destroyed. Have an abundant life. (laughs) Sometimes we read a text like this through a different lens. We try to paint a picture that is squarely framed in obedience, and we forget that Jesus said, I came so you could have a life that's more abundant. I'm calling you to a bigger story, a better story, a greater adventure. But sometimes we're shy. Like, we don't talk about, like, we don't talk about texts like Psalm 1 anymore. We don't say the righteous are planted like a, like a tree beside the river and the faithful won't survive, or the faithless won't survive. We don't talk that way. I wonder sometimes if it's because we don't believe it or if it's because we're viewing texts like this through the wrong lens, because we forget that it's really about a party, that it's really about a bigger story. The psalmist understood this, and I believe it's why this idea is included in this first psalm in what's sort of the introduction to the rest of the collection, that there's a bigger story, a bigger adventure, a party, and get this, we've all been invited to it. Not just the people that fit into the kingdom of God, not just the people that look like they belong or act like they belong, but everyone is invited. And according to the psalmist, the best way to participate, the best way to see that, the best way to have some insight into that kind of life has to do with the way we live on a daily basis, something that's connected with the law of God. And it means we live differently. It means we live differently. Now, you might ask, well, what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, it means we keep God first in all parts of our life. It means we don't prioritize other things ahead of God in the way we do life. It means we don't use God as an excuse to push our own agenda. We don't claim God when it's really just what we want. It means we remember that we don't make the universe spin. And we take time every week to remember the one who does. We keep our work in perspective. It means we respect our heritage, respect our parents, even when they don't do things perfectly, even when they let us listen to all about that base once in a while. It means we strive to show respect for life whenever and wherever possible. It means we value and support healthy relationships, especially marriage. It means we, does this sound familiar? It actually all comes from the Ten Commandments. Just my, my own summary to try and sneak it in, make it seem unrecognizable. It means we respect others enough to let them keep what they've worked for. Thou shalt not steal. It means we tell the truth even when it's tempting to be economical with the truth for our own benefit. It means we learn to be content with what God has given us in life and we celebrate the success of others. And this is all just from the First Testament. The Ten Commandments, in fact, were were the heart of the law that the psalmist is referring to in this text. They would have been the part that everybody knew, even if they hadn't yet memorized all of the 600 plus other laws, other rules that came along. 
But human nature is such that we, we want to make things complicated. We want to make things specific. We want to know, what's the best way for me to do this? And so in people's zeal to be sure that they were living that bigger party, better life, better story kind of life, they came up with all these rules. And they lost sight of the bigger story. And so Jesus said things like this. You've heard it said, don't murder, but I tell you, don't even get angry. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery, but I tell you, don't even go there in your mind. Again, my paraphrase. You've heard it said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy, but I tell you, love, is, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Why? Because everyone, even the people that are hard to love, are invited to the party. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go the extra mile. Jesus understood that to go the first mile was to fulfill an obligation. In that time, there was a law that said if you were a, a, a kid and a Roman soldier came up to you and said, I want you to carry my pack for a mile, you had to do it. And so Jesus called people to live a different kind of life. He said, go beyond just fulfilling the obligation because he knew that second mile changed the nature of the relationship. But Jesus also knew this stuff was not easy. Like John Acuff reminded us at Orange Tour. He said, no one, no one thinks to themselves, I think I'm gonna watch some Netflix and then accidentally ends up climbing Long's Peak. No one thinks, I'm going to just swing through Taco Bell and then finds himself at home standing behind a bowl of paella, stirring for hours. Doing the difficult thing, doing the harder thing, it goes against our nature. Living a different kind of life goes against our instincts. The psalmist knew that living differently takes intention. But he also believed that living part of the bigger story is worth the effort in the same way that some of you know that living without gluten or dairy or caffeine or intentionally spending time at the gym or with your kids or with your family makes a difference in your life. It makes a difference in the way you live every day. And what I'm about to say will come as a shock to some of you, so I want you to be sure that you're in a good space, a happy space, before I say it. I'm going to confess to you that I am not extremely disciplined when it comes to exercise. But I've always wanted to be strong. Like, I wanted to be the guy that, like, you know, someone's trapped under a car and he's just sort of the unassuming, frumpy guy that walks down the street and is like, ha ha, and can lift the car and do that. My brother in law, Dalton, is that guy. Although you can kind of tell when you see Dalton, when Dalton comes into a room, you can kind of tell, oh, he could pull the car off. The... <laughs> but I've always wanted to be like the unassuming, like I, be, I really believe in something that I call quiet confidence. Like you don't have to swagger into a room, but you know that you could if you needed to. Um, there was one of my, another one of my, I have a lot of heroes this morning, but one of my heroes is a musician named Paul Mayberry. He's a drummer, he's a producer. Um, but I got to hear him talk about how he makes music and why he practices and why he goes through the, the routines and practices the really simple, I call them rudiments in drumming. 
Why he does that is he said, as a musician, I wanna be able to serve this song. If the moment is right, if the song calls for something, I wanna be able to take that song wherever it needs to go. And so I have to practice the basic stuff. Even though I'm not constantly thrashing away, Sometimes we have to practice the basic stuff. We all want to play the, well, not all of us want to play, but I always wanted to play the guitar. That was always, for me, it just clicked. But sometimes you have to start with the basic stuff. If we want to be strong, if I want to be the guy that lifts the car off, the trapped person is the hero, it's gonna require me to live a different kind of life. It's gonna require me to maybe wake up five minutes early and do, I don't know, a push-up. Ever. I don't have to be built like Arnold. I don't need tree trunks for arms. But until I start to practice the discipline, there's a connection between how we live our lives every day and the bigger story that we want to be part of, or of which we would like to be a part, remark. <laughs> but understanding this choice is a foundation for the way that we walk with God. We can either decide, I'm either in or out, or we can say, Jesus, walk with me on this. I need this, I need this extra time. To assume that we can just spiritually lift the car there's a difference in the way that we exercise spiritually and how that builds the strength of our character understanding that this is a choice um, you know the psalmist understood this and woven into these verses this verse in particular is the idea that we can wrestle with God without worrying that our questions somehow disqualify us from being part of the community of faith. But it also means that there's a connection between the way we live life every day and being part of a, a, a more abundant party, a better story, a greater adventure that Jesus is calling us to be a part of. So I'd like you this morning to hear this psalm one more time. And if you want to read along in your pew Bibles, uh, I'll invite you to open to page 494. But if you'd like to just listen to this psalm again, you're welcome to do that as well. But as we do that, I hope that you don't hear this in the way that I always have, obey or be destroyed. There's definitely some of the obedience language in this text. But I hope that you'll hear it as an invitation to you to the people around you, to be part of a bigger story, a greater adventure, something beyond what we can imagine, a more abundant life. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, on the law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. 
In all he does, he prospers. But the wicked are not so. They are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor the judge, nor the sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. As we dig deeper into this series, as we hear the psalmist getting real with God, my prayer for you and for me is that we will be planted, that we will commit to being part of this journey with Jesus. However far we may feel because of the issues going on in our life, that we recognize that God walks with us on this journey. And because of that, we have hope.